On this episode, you're going to learn how to get that second purchase and subsequent purchases through a well thought out customer experience strategy. You don't want to miss this one. Do stay tuned. Retail and e-commerce have witnessed an unprecedented transformation in the last decade. The widespread adoption of mobile technology, social media, as well as the lowered cost of cloud-based technology have not only eroded the barriers to entry in retail, but it's also led to the rapid rise and dominance of digital native product brands that sell directly to their customers. On this podcast, you'll get the scoop on customer acquisition and retention strategies employed by high-growth digital native product brands. Not being afraid to spend because you know that customer is going to pay it back uh, three or four-fold. That's when you start to unlock channels in the way that they were meant to be used. And- Listen to interviews with experts at the forefront of technology and innovation in digital retail. Three years ago, they wouldn't have come to us because yeah, the macro trend of cloud, Wi-Fi, broadband availability, that was a real, that was a real problem. Hear first-hand stories from founders of innovative direct-to-consumer brands. Although I was thinking about the competition, I was more thinking about like, how do I just build a freaking successful business? We focus on driving as much traffic as possible, converting that traffic, uh, and then dumping money back into driving more traffic. These insights will help you consistently 2x growth in specific areas of your direct-to-consumer brand. This is the 2x e-commerce podcast, hosted by Kunle Campbell. Hey guys, welcome, welcome to the 2x e-commerce podcast show, and I'm your host, Kunle Campbell. Now, on this podcast, I'm going to be interviewing Vikas. He is the VP of sales at a customer experience platform called Customer. That's Customer with a K. And on this episode, we talked about how to get repeat customers by delivering just excellent customer experience. And we, we talked about many, many variables in, in, um, in, in customer experience. We, we talked about, um, being available in many channels and having that unified customer view when it comes to like customer experience. We talked about self-serve, a bit the ability for your customers to sort things out by, by themselves. And in the event that they need to speak to somebody in your, in your, in your, you know, organization, those people in your organizations must be experts. They must be empathetic. And, um, they must be empowered, you know, to be able to give, you know, discounts and the like. It's a super interesting, you know, um, conversation. He certainly knows his stuff. Um, no doubt. Um, and yeah, I really, really, really enjoyed it. It's, you know, good. Anyone who wants to get a primer into customer experience or you want to refresh your understanding of what good customer experience looks like at scale. Um, whether you're starting out to, to scale with the, with the view to scale, you should listen to this episode essentially. So, um, enjoy the episode. Let me know how it goes at the end, at the other end of, um, the, the spectrum. And yeah, um, enjoy, enjoy this one. Cheers. Behind on planning for Black Friday and Cyber Monday? Well, Clavio is here to help. Clavio is the ultimate e-commerce marketing platform for online brands of all kinds and all sizes. With email automation, SMS marketing, list growth tools, and more, you'll get everything you need to build strong relationships that keep your customers coming back. And with the holiday season right around the corner, there's no time like the present. Get up and running quickly with Clavio's lightning fast integrations, pre-built marketing automations, and the beautiful email templates. Whether you're a billion dollar business or just starting out, Clavio is the e-commerce marketing platform for growth during the holidays and long after. Get a free trial at clavio.com slash 2x. That is K-L-A-V-I-Y-O dot com slash 2X. Let's take a quick break to talk about screwing up. Accidents happen. Perhaps you installed an app that messed up your theme or a CSV import completely messed up your product catalog. Common myth. 
cloud-based e-commerce platforms like Shopify and BigCommerce have automatic backup solutions you can use when something goes wrong with your store. This is simply untrue. They don't. Myth busted. So what do you do? You use Rewind. Rewind will protect Shopify and BigCommerce stores with automatic backups. Rewind should be the first app you install to protect your store against human error, misbehaving apps, or collaborators gone bad. It's like having your very own magic undo button. Rewind is trusted by over 25,000 businesses from side hustles to the biggest retail brands you can think of. Gymshark, Movement Watches, and Pampers all use Rewind for automatic backups. So here's the deal for 2Xs. If you head over to rewind.io, which is R-E-W-I-N-D.io, install Rewind, you'll get to use it for free for seven days. If you reach out to the Rewind team and mention the 2X e-commerce podcast, then extend your seven-day trial for a full month for free. Enjoy peace of mind with Rewind Backups. Remember to head over to Rewind.io and don't forget to mention the 2X e-commerce podcast for a full month trial. Hi there, 2Xers. Welcome, welcome to the 2X e-commerce podcast show. I'm your host, Kunle Campbell, and this is a podcast dedicated to rapid growth and direct-to-consumer e-commerce space. Now, if you're looking to grow metrics such as conversions, average order value, traffic, and ultimately sales, well, you are in the right place because I handpick the guests who come to the show to share their expertise and experience. And my criteria is based on one question. Can they just help you hit those metrics. You know, I said, if they can, I try my very best to bring them on the show. Now on today's show, I have Vikas Bambri. He is the SVP, so sales vice president, global sales at a CRM company, an omni-channel CRM company called Customer, and that's Customer with a K. Um, without further ado, I'd like to welcome Vikas to the show. Welcome, Vikas. Quickly, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. That's yes. Okay. So we are, um, in a very, very interesting time. Um, we, we have the pandemic, uh, we have the, um, just the emergence of or the dominance right now of, um, online retail. Um, today I was, you know, on the call with, um, with a, with a brand owner who's, you know, been selling to supermarkets for like forever. And he's talking direct to consumer. Um, how, how does you know um, customer you know um, play out in in this in the direct to consumer space? Sure. So customer is the platform, uh, as you mentioned before, the word CRM. So it's the customer relationship management platform for customer service for some of the world's leading direct to consumer brands, right? Whether they be e-commerce retailers, IoT companies, marketplace food delivery, fintech, health tech, a lot of them have ad- adopted customer as their platform to deliver an amazing experience to their customers. Okay. And I understand you've been in the market for about three years and um, that pretty much coincides with the emergence of direct-to-consumer selling. Um, What has been the journey thus far in in the last three years um, in in the D2C space? Well, from from your perspective, you know, if we talk about it, even pre-pandemic, right? Uh, The acceleration of D2C companies in every single facet of how we live, how we purchase, how we consume has been phenomenal, right? If you think about just how, you know, anything that you have in your home that was traditionally bought in a store, you know, a, a CPG company would, would manufacture it, put it in a store, you'd buy it off the shelf is now available to you direct to consumer. So even pre-pandemic, we saw such an acceleration and we're seeing, you know, with companies out there, you know, as an example, one of our partners, Shopify, right? You know, so many new companies being spun up to deliver these products and services and goods. Then you layer on top of that, the pandemic over the last, you know, nine months. And we have fundamentally accelerated what we expected to see in the year 2022 to 2024, we have now achieved today across the globe, which, you know, it's been really exciting to be a part of that and, and just yeah. see the adoption curve um, for D2C brands. 
That's incredible. You know, um, you're well ahead of the curve. Um, you know, expectations of 2023, 24 drop back to 2020, so three years back. Um, we, you know, over black over the pandemic, especially the start of the pandemic, we, we saw we we saw tripling of Black Friday, you know, um, sales and you know um, performance. Now, obviously, with sales um, comes responsibility, um, and you know, over the pandemic, even up till now, um, there's still supply chain issues in you know certain industries. How would you effectively still deliver you know um, a superior customer experience while trying to balance selling as a D two C company? and um, actually delivering what you're selling to the customers in, given the uncertainty and the environment in general? Yeah. So it's really interesting. And unless you're selling a high price one-off item, right? So what I mean by that is unless you're, you know, Elon Musk selling a Tesla, or unless you're somebody who's selling a vintage watch that maybe somebody purchases once in their lifetime, the reality is, most of us are out there selling things where we need repeat customers. We cannot just do a one and done. In fact, because of the cost of acquisition, because this is now, you know, there's so much opportunity in the marketplace for a consumer, the cost of acquisition has risen, right? You know, the cost of, you know, advertising on Google, Facebook, et cetera. So if you only sell one item to somebody, the likelihood is you actually lost money on that customer. Most D2C brands will tell you until they get to purchase three, four, five, depending on how much they spend on that acquisition and their cost of goods, that's when they actually achieve profitability for that individual customer. So it really becomes important about delivering that customer experience post-acquisition, right? And we're seeing more and more investment and focus on there. I think historically we saw big budgets for marketing and so on. Now you're seeing it on the customer service experience side. And I think, you know, a couple, couple of rules of quote unquote law or, you know, what I, what I would say is best practices. One is be available to your customers where they want you to be. I think historically brands were very, especially the traditional brands, were very specific of how they wanted to do business with customers. You're going to do it my way. I am only going to give you a 1-800 number to call. Now you need to be available across all the different proliferation of channels that a customer expects you to be able to engage with them. Email, chat, SMS, Facebook Messenger, et cetera, right? And the list goes on and varies by geography. Number two is I actually don't want to speak to somebody if I don't have to, if I'm a consumer. So the availability of really powerful self-service options, whether it's in your app, on your website, in your portal, to allow me to take care or do research on your products or your return policies, et cetera. Then if I'm going to speak to a human being, I want them to be empowered, I want them to be informed, and I want them to be empathetic. So these are some of the core recipes for success you know, that we you know, kind of share with our customers and, and people that we engage with to set up a practice or program that will ultimately lead to a better customer experience, which ultimately drives revenue and more purchases. I love those pillars. I love those pillars. Um, being omnipresent um, from a communication standpoint, giving customers the autonomy to self-serve, sort problems out themselves, and then having expert, empathetic customer service, well-trained customer service reps. I think those three pillars are, you know, um, yeah, this <laughs> set in stone. Um, yeah, makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. So where where do we start in in regards to? Um, I wanted to to go back to your point. I'm going to co- co- cover these three topics you talked about. These three pillars. These three three important points. But I wanted to go back to your point on repeat customers and that second, third, and even fourth purchase. If you were to start, you were to start a D2C company or looking at the spectrum, the wide spectrum of customers at customer, your, your clients are customer. Um, what would you advise a startup D2C entrepreneur to get into? Because a lot of people get stuck in the rut where they come up with gadgets 
X or maybe they release a watch or something and it's it's really good but they don't have anything to bring customers back again to repurchase where do you think the juice is now in in D2C because D2C initially started out with like um you know just standard e-commerce goods whether it's it's like um you know phone cases or you know electronics and now it's moved to the CPG space where are serious D2C companies playing in like product type in the range of product types um, that actually just um, maximizes customer lifetime value? Sure. I think, question, but. You know, it's, it's a great, it's a great question. Right. And no, I'm a technologist, so I'm not setting up my own D2C brand tomorrow, but, but here are some of the things that I think about as I observe what others are doing. Number one is setting up a brand that, people can really get behind. And uh, whether it be celebrity endorsements, whether it be influencers, so if you're co- so many cosmetic companies, as an example, are now mm-hmm. being set up where it's really these amazing online influencers that are driving the adoption and the purchase behavior. Is it a item that is eco-friendly, that can you know tie to somebody's personal values, right? Is it being manufactured in a certain place? Is it being manufactured in a certain way? Are you using certain goods to deliver it? Or is there a charitable angle to your product, right? So if you look at this companies out there, for every item you purchase, they give one away to somebody who is less fortunate. So I think, number one, we're seeing a lot of that across the board, right? So either advocacy by celebrities or endorsers, or we're seeing something that appeals to the emotion of the buyer. Um, these, the second piece we're seeing, as you alluded to on the CPG side, is we're seeing people turn things that we really thought of as throwaway into a subscription business, right? You saw this originally with a lot of the, uh, the men's razor companies, right? You know, for those of us who, uh, you know, have gone back to shaving now, you know, early in the pandemic, it felt like everybody had a beard. But now that we're back to shaving, I mean, those are disposable items and we never really thought of it. And all of a sudden you had a company that said, purchase the razor from me and every month I'm going to send you the blades. I mean, just think about that. Just totally. And we're now seeing that with toothbrushes. We're seeing that with all facets of, of, the, of the, uh, the purchase spectrum. <coughs> Excuse me. And the third is people who made it more convenient, who found very specific pain points for the consumer. Um, you know, eyeglasses are a great example, right? The challenge of having to go to a store, get my prescription. It almost felt like you were wasting three, four hours to purchase a pair of glasses from selection. Yeah. And now I can have a bunch of frames sent to my house, pick one, send it back. And you know, a week or two later, it shows up in my house at a lower cost than what I would spend in the store. So I think those are the three drivers that I'm seeing people use to build and create these D2C brands. Super, super interesting. Thanks for, for the insights. Um, another very strong, another, you know, very, very strong points there, which we can go into. Let's take this quick break to hear from our sponsors. Is your e-commerce store powered by Magento, BigCommerce, Commerce Cloud, WooCommerce, or a custom cat platform? Is it slow? Does it have too many fields or involves too many steps to complete a purchase? Enter Bolt. It's the fastest e-commerce checkout in the industry, period. Bolt loads 10x faster than native checkouts with an average checkout duration of just over 30 seconds. Bolt is mobile native with no scroll on mobile screens. It offers a zero fraud guarantee and has has 42% fewer fields than native checkouts. Bolt supports Stripe, Apple Pay, PayPal, and several more payment gateways and providers. Bolt helps luxury sunglasses brand Dita reduce checkout abandonment by 32%, which resulted in a 50% conversion rate uplift. Don't lose customers at checkout. Use Bolt. Bolt is offering a completely free bottom of funnel checkout audit to 2x e-commerce listeners. Head over to bolt.com forward slash 2x to get your free checkout audit now. That's bolt.com forward slash 2x. Let's go back to those rules you initially talked about, which is like um, 
the let's start out with um, the omnipresent or omnichannel um, presence you know, from a communication standpoint. Um, you talked about email, SMS, chat, um, messenger, possibly. Um, what do you see in customer? Where do customers um, tend to want to interact with brands? Where do they feel most comfortable? Um, you know, interacting with brands. What 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 channels do they do you are you seeing a, a lot of activity cropping up? So so we've seen the you know, and, and this is beyond my time at customer, but particularly mm-hmm. over the last three years, is the adoption of digital channels is now just it's it's standard, right? You know, if you don't offer chat, if you don't offer um, you know SMS, you know email, those are just those are default. Those are default options. You're setting up a company today. You have to do it. The, you know, social is an interesting one because I think people have dabbled in social. They've tried to do social listening, et cetera. But now I, you know, what I'm, what you're seeing is the adoption curve. Once again, is people are really seeing it as an opportunity and are thinking about how they do it thoughtfully, whether it be on Twitter, whether that be on Facebook. And then you look at other channels like WhatsApp and, you know, depending on where you are in Asia, maybe WeChat, Line, et cetera. So all of those are now um, have to be part of your program. Voice is the most interesting one because people have been talking about the voice channel and the deprecation of it now for almost the last, you know, eight to 10 years. And it hasn't happened because there's two things that still exist on the voice side is one, there's certain demographics that simply insist on, on calling a brand, right? They mm-hmm. just feel more comfortable. That's how they operate. You know, that's how they even communicate with their family and friends. The other is we continue to see, we've seen it in the pandemic, that when trouble hits, people want to pick up the phone and speak to somebody. The urgency mm-hmm. that, you know, that creates. So I think, so one is you need to be available not on all of these channels. It, it's not a one size fits all. It really depends on who you are as a brand and what your consumer base is. For example, if I had a brand that was wholly focused on children or maybe college students, I wouldn't even adopt email and I wouldn't adopt phone because I think you're less likely to see high CSAT on those channels. Whereas maybe I'm a bank, I'm going to be focused on some of those more mature traditional channels but still having to play if I want to be a bank that services millennials, et cetera, in some of those quote unquote newer channels, like maybe a WhatsApp or SMS. The other thing is a lot of brands look at this as purely just, I have to be available on those channels. And I call that multi-channel. It's just being available across those channels. The true definition of omni-channel for us here at customer is the ability for a customer to start a conversation on one of those channels. For example, I start my conversation in a chat and for whatever reason, maybe it's, I have to go back and do some research or maybe I, you know, I have to step away from my laptop and I can now continue that conversation perhaps on SMS and maintain the fluidity of that conversation with that brand. On the flip side, giving the agent or the brand the flexibility to change channel as well. So you and I might start a conversation in chat and you're the agent for the brand. You want to send me a form to fill out. Maybe you change the channel to email, send me the form, but we maintain the continuity of that conversation. To it's us, one thread, one long thread. Exactly. To us, that's true mm. omni-channel. Mm, mm, mm. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and, and yeah, and so, yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. As as compared to multi-channel, where it's just one channel at a time, and there's no unism really um, across you know any channel you're you're being involved in. I found well, personally. Yeah, sorry, sorry to interrupt. I was going to say because what you see happen in in most of those instances where you don't have that true omni-channel experience is I'm a consumer. I reach mm. out to you via let's just pick on email, and it takes your company 24 hours to respond to emails. Mm. Most consumers are, are impatient. And of course that, that impatience, uh, you know, the level of, of uh, patience is, is dwindled in the, in the pandemic, right? Mm-hmm. Because now people are like, I need food to feed my family. Like I need to know where this is. I can't wait for somebody for, to, to respond for 24 hours. Now they'll hop on your website and they'll start chatting with somebody. 
If you don't have that omni-channel single conversation, that first email I sent has been routed through your logic to an agent, maybe who's going to respond tomorrow. Meanwhile, I'm chatting with another agent. They're both basically responding to the same inquiry to the same customer. And what Mm -hmm. happens for some brands, one, that's a, a huge efficiency hit. Number two is those two agents might actually respond with different resolutions. So the email person might tell me, hey, you know what? Sorry for your trouble. We're going to give you $10 off your next order. The chat person might tell me, actually, here's a coupon for whatever. And now I've got two different resolutions from two different agents about the same inquiry. So it's not a holistic customer experience. It looks disjointed, et cetera. We call that agent collision, where you actually have two agents that are colliding around the same problem, the same customer, same inquiry. Yep. Yep. And um, with with the omni-channel, you know, solution, it's very customer-centric. The customer is at the center of it, and their history is there. And you know, um, you just tap into it really um, in in that you know um, fluid conversation. Cool. Um, yeah. So I found that um, in in fashion, in in many sort of mainstream in fashion, especially Messenger is a very Facebook Messenger seems to be um, almost at par as um, email um, in some instances. Um, is, is that is that what you're seeing on your end or? I, I would say, you know, for some brands, it's parity with email. Um, but, mm-hmm. but brands that actually staff it and, and have it, you know, treated just like any other channel, mm-hmm. um, see high, it's a way to really differentiate because I would venture a guess if you and I were to jump on 10 brands right now and send them a Facebook message, eight or nine of them would not respond within an hour. And out of that nine, maybe half of them would respond within 24 hours. But the brands that do respond have now changed the game. Um, And, you know, are, are, you know, once again, able to entertain a different audience, one that lives in those social spheres, whether it be Facebook messenger, Instagram, et cetera, that others are not able to, to attract. So, um, what are your thoughts? Speaking of that, um, what are your thoughts of um, on um, on sites chat? You know, the tr- you know a native website or in app chat versus um, some brands that are adopting the Facebook Messenger platform for chat. What are the pros and cons? Do you make both available, or are you more? Um, are you just yeah? Would you prefer another? Would you prefer one over the other? You know, this, this might be a cheat, you know, answer, but rea- re- the re- reality is it boils down to the brand strategy. You see brands that have heavily invested in their Facebook presence. And so having Facebook Messenger being a channel for them to communicate there makes total sense. But you also have, you know, your website where perhaps you're, you've got your e-commerce, your purchase experience there. So keeping that customer on site is absolutely critical. So to me, it's a matter of not an either or, but if you're investing in both properties to advertise and promote your products, then you have to be able to have conversations on both those, on both the, both your website, maybe your app, as well as Facebook. Makes sense. Makes sense. Okay. Uh, let's talk about the, the, the second major rule, which is um, self-serve, you know, the ability for customers to sort issues themselves to, you know, to, towards a, um, to a certain degree, um, it could be exchanges or, um, returns. Um, what framework, um, would you suggest D2C companies sort of, um, work around in the self-serve, you know, but what, what level of autonomy should they give, empower their customers with, um, in, in your, in, in the self-serve, um, you know, side of, um, the customer experience framework you, you, um, you alluded to earlier. Sure. So, so, you know, with, with everything, you know, there's a maturity index or, you know, how mature do you want to be? The very basic is what we call a knowledge base or FAQ, right? Just giving your customers the answers to those questions, you know, and what, what I, where I tell most people to start if they don't have one is what are the top 10 inquiries that people reach out to your customers? I mean, to your agents about, right? And, and start there. Like, and generally you find it, it's the same, which is 
What's your return policy? Um, you know, can I, uh, where can I drop off something? Do you service my location, right? All of those types of things should be published, should be transparent, et cetera. Then you see a bit more maturity and you're like, okay, we've answered the question for the customer, but now we want them to be able to take action uh, on their own. And that's where you're seeing the proliferation of people using uh, AI technology like chatbots to actually engage customers to not only answer a question for them, but empower them to take an action, right? Um, so that's another step of it. Now you're showing me the return policy, but now I actually want to initiate the return rather than speaking to somebody, let me do it through, through your website or your chatbot, etc. cetera. Um, one piece I missed, which is I think the piece in between is just sharing more data that you have internally with the customer. One of the big pain points or questions we find in the D2C world is what we call Wismo, where's my order? And it's amazing to me how many websites you go to where you can simply not put in your order ID or your email and not only see your previous order, but see the status of that order, right? And where you see brands maturing to is not only can I see that something has been shipped, but I can see where it is in the tracking process. Is it out for delivery? If it's out for delivery, is the delivery person a town away or a state away or a country away, right? So really giving more and more visibility into that shipment to your customers. And what you see with that is they are less likely then to reach out to that human agent to have a very simple question answered. And it's amazing to me how, how many brands simply still do not answer that very basic question for their customers, which is, where is my order? Yeah, makes sense. Where's my, I learn something every day. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, now, the, the final piece of the puzzle is, um, you know, customer service reps. Um, you talked about empathy and you talked about expertise. Um, what advice would you give D2C founders or teams listening to this who want to chisel the, the best, you know, customer reps um, they possibly can, you know, carve out for, for their brand? So, so number one is don't ask people to deliver an amazing experience. You know, a lot of times right. you know, you'll talk to CEOs, particularly D2C CEOs, and they'll talk about Zappos. I want, you know, I want my team to deliver Zappos experience. And then the, in the next breath, they'll say, but I want them to do it in under five minutes. It's got to be fast. Okay. So you want me to deliver Zappos level experience in as short a time as possible, but here's where they, where they go wrong is they give these people really crappy tools to do it with. They give them these antiquated tools that make them have to go to multiple systems, multiple applications to answer very basic inquiries. Mm. So basically, they're setting these people up for, to fail. Imagine you were in that role and every morning you left for work and you told your family, I'm just letting you know I'm going to work today, but I am going to fail because I am being set up to fail. So number one, mm. give people basic tools that allow them to do their jobs. And when I see basic tools, what I mean by that is give them visibility into who that customer is, what that customer's relationship with your brand is, and give them access, as I said before, across all the channels, right? So not this, I'm sorry, sir, I can only see your chats. I have no visibility into that email you sent yesterday, right? Because you can imagine now the consumer is getting angry taking it out on this, this individual. So number one, give them the tools with the data and visibility. Number two, and this is more of a policy thing, empower them to make decisions. Empower them to be able to give a credit to a customer, to refund an item, to create, a, yeah. to solve that problem. And then the last piece of it is the training. And this really starts at the very beginning with who you hire into these roles. And what we've seen is 
the industry itself in the customer service, customer experience world, these professionals are very different than the people that were being hired into these roles 10, 15 years ago, right? 10, 15 years ago, everybody was focused on the cost element of the contact center and going out and hiring the cheapest labor available. And then they were really curious as to why people were not raving about their brand. You've seen that switch where you're getting trained knowledge workers into these roles, in some cases, very highly educated, depending on your product, if you're a fintech company, et cetera, who are able to deliver knowledge and expertise. So you're just, even Mm. the fundamental role has changed. And then a lot more thought into how we train these individuals and also their well-being. Because you can imagine when you're in a customer service world, you're not dealing with people when they're happiest, right? Mm. They're happy when they bought the product and they jump for joy when they bought that car or they bought that watch or they bought, but when they're reaching out to you is because something is not working. Something was Mm. broken. Something didn't deliver on time. Imagine listening to that all day long or engaging with that all day long. So even customer care is a very important element for your team is making sure you have health and wellness breaks, you have celebrations, et cetera. So those are some of the elements around making sure that you have the most engaged, effective team to be the front line of your brand to deliver that amazing experience. Clavio is the e-commerce marketing platform that helps brands build relationships with memorable email and SMS messages. Today, more than 50,000 brands like Living Proof, Hint, and Choppies choose Clavio to help them grow. Learn more and get started with the free trial at clavio.com slash 2x. That is K-L-A-V-I-Y-O dot com slash 2x. Yeah, speaking about wellness, um, how would you how would you suggest um, shifts? You know, um, what 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 hours? What what optimal hours for for best in class um, customer? Well, clients of of yours that um, customer. You know, it you have to have a couple of thoughts, right? One hmm. is this off on mentality, right? Where you know you can you can go out there. You know what we call on the floor is a very common term in the contact center space. You can go on the floor for a period of time but then you need that break. And I'm not saying that break always has to be a complete walk away from, you know, from, from engaging the customer. And, but you do need that break built in, whether it's a, um, you know, a wellness break and you'll see a lot of, well, before Mm -hmm. the pandemic, a lot of contact centers now had health and wellness rooms, almost like, you know, mini meditation spa rooms that people could go into and just take it easy obviously breaking for lunch and things like that, but even changing what the person does. And so one of the things, for example, we do here at customer is our team not only responds to customer inquiries, but then when they go off the floor, they can go and work on other projects. They can work on improving our knowledge base, right? Educating themselves on the product. So continually enhancing their skill set servicing customers in other ways without just, you know, kind of a 24 by seven, you know, let's just churn out responses to, to customers in mass. Balance is really important. Okay. Um, we're, we're about wrapping up, but, um, we're in Q4 now we're right smack bang in the middle of Q4. What tips, um, would you have? There's going to be an explosion. I, I, I don't even want to think about, um, you know, Black Friday, this, the whole Cyber Week thing in, in 2020, it's, it's just going to be, you know, massive. Um, so given the expectation of um, record sales, this um, this Cyber Week, this Q4, how would you, or what tips would you give to D2C teams listening to this um, podcast um, around managing um, the expected flurry or flow of customer requests, you know, whether it's the Wismos or um, the um, the returns, the exchanges, you know, the unwanted gifts, how do we manage it all to, for sanity for all, for both customers and, you know, our teams? Yeah. 
So, so here, here's kind of how I would look at it. I would actually skip over the holiday season just for a moment and look at 2021. Yeah. 2021 is, has the potential for us to have a Black Friday or a Cyber Monday, whatever you call it, wherever you are in the world, almost every day if you're a D2C brand. Mm. Unfortunately, that's the global macroeconomic outlook. You know, I'm not a scientist. Don't pretend to be so. Don't, don't take this for as gospel. But what I would say is all indicators are that the trend line will continue where e-commerce, D2C will be at front and center in 2021. So now what does that mean for this holiday season? What that means is most brands, when I sit down with a brand and talk about the holiday season, they've been in planning stages since almost the beginning of the year, right? This is the big event for a lot of brands. It's their, the, their biggest day of sales or their biggest month of sales in the entire year. And they start that planning process in March. Everything from the advertising to the website experience, to the promotions, and of course, the supply chain. Here's the thing, Kunle. How many of them do you think think about that post-purchase experience? Very few of them. Very few of them think about it. So many. Yep. Right. So here's the thing. You still have time. You still have time to sit down with your teams. And look, we all would like to idealize and say, we're going to sell something it is going to be exactly what the customer wanted. It is going to show up on time. It is going to show up in the prettiest packaging with no issues. And it's going to show up um, completely intact. And the customer is going to know exactly how to use it. And they're going to want to keep it. That's, but that's not reality. So how are you going to address the, re- the things where people will go to your website on Cyber Monday, and they will purchase something because you have a lightning blitz deal and it'll be shipped to their house and then they realize they already have four of them, right? Or it shows up damaged, et cetera. So you have to think about it. And the reason you need to think about it this year more than ever is because if you don't give them that positive post-purchase experience, you're less likely to get that repeat purchase, not only this holiday season, but as I said, 2021, Every day for a D2C company has the opportunity to be another holiday. And if you deliver a poor experience today, don't care what you're selling, they're less likely to buy from you in 2021. So that's what I would suggest to all the operators that are listening to this is there's still time. There, there's still time. And I'm sure your customer service team has so much data of what they've experienced over the last six months. Get ahead of it. And you can do very quick pointed fixes, whether it's updating your knowledge base, adding a chat bot, or even forget technology, just change a policy, change a behavior with your agents, give them more training about empathy, et cetera. Yeah. O's in itself can have huge return on investment. What about headcount, um, especially given the fact of remote working, you know, now that um, there are many people looking for jobs, you know, people can work from home um, and we, we just don't know what the, the capacity is going to look like. Should we, you know, just start prepping additional heads, you know, to, to sort out, um, you know, potential customer issues? I would say, you know, at least most of the brands that we engage with have already, you know, set that up. And I think mm-hmm. what I would say to any brand who, who hasn't thought about it is, because most brands do a kind of a, a burst or a seasonal, uh, you know, labor arbitrage, you know, to, for, for this period. Yeah. Is I would overinvest over the norm. Whereas last year, yeah. maybe you, you hired 100 temporary staff for this period. Go out and hire 120, 140. Reason yeah. being, and you're probably already seeing this, the engagement for levels from consumers are at all times high. Anxiety is high. Now you couple of that, couple that with, the, you know, the weather, especially in the Northern Hemisphere, the holiday, the natural stress of holidays, and the fact that a lot of people aren't going to be able to do what they normally do in the holidays, they are going to be hypervigilant yeah. about, I placed this order yesterday. Like, why is it not here yet? 
right? You're yeah. going to get that level of demand. So be prepared to live up to that expectation. And I'm also anticipating uh, managing expectations from a um, from a shipping standpoint. You know, when we used to have cutoffs in December, you know, um, they're like we could the cutoffs were like the 22nd for a guaranteed Christmas Eve, you know, delivery. We might have to bring those times, you know, forward because if you think about it, many people are not going to shop in retail stores. They're they're going online. The, the the whole pipeline for delivery and logistics is just it, I don't know whether it's going to clog up or not. It it might be just realistic for for people to really push that cyber week and start with December, and just say you know what we're closing shop. We're not sure. It's it's left to you alone um, to sort. You know um, if 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 your goods to, you know get arrive before Christmas, that's fine. But if they don't. And that was our cutoff, you know, and uh, my carriers have advised us. There's a very real reason why some of the biggest retailers in the world are doing their big shopping event in October. Now, (laughs) Amazon Amazon Prime. They they are, you know, they're sitting on more data than, you know, than anybody else. And they know that there are going to be supply chain issues. There are yeah. going to be, I mean, capacity issues with the you know, UBS, Airborne, et cetera. The, yeah. All of these yeah. things are going to come into play. And so they are getting ahead of it. And yeah. so if you're you know, a $50 million, you know, $100 million D2C brand, you have to yeah. think the same way. And yeah. you, you know, if you're trying to do business as normal, uh, you, you know, you're unfortunately going to have a failed outcome going to be lots of delivery drivers very busy this this uh, this holiday okay um brilliant stuff as in i've totally enjoyed this conversation because i didn't know where it take us to but um i i love your methodic um approach to 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 um viewing problems and you know offering solutions how you break things down you know into steps very very digestible steps and we could actually deep you know dive into each one and then you shed a bit more light into it. So that's brilliant. Thank you so much. On a final note, um, what, uh, what's your, what are your predictions um, in the next three years? Um, this is just a very open-ended question um, in, in e-commerce. What should we expect in the next um, you know, two, three years? So, you know, we, you know, we have to think about business post you know, what we're all going through right now. And, you know, we have to think about it. We have to have that outlook, right? Mm-hmm. What I would say to, to everybody who's out there is think about how you have changed and how you've transformed your business over these last nine months. And my expectation is that everybody talks about this as the, the temporary normal or the new normal. This is the normal going forward. And what I mean by that is you now have, as I talk about, talked about at the beginning, the accelerated curve where people are now purchasing things online that were never, they were never purchasing before. There's no going back, right? We've done that acceleration. The adoption curve is there. People are going to expect to continue to consume this way. So if you're in this space, that's a fantastic opportunity. But they're also going to expect a lot of the behaviors that we now have instituted, the policies, the flexibility, the empathy. It's not like you can say, I'll give you a quick example. My local ice cream provider, you know, my local ice cream shop, right, had a very traditional business. You walked in, you scooped your ice cream, you put your toppings on, they weighed it, you paid, et cetera. Very normal. In the pandemic, of course, they had the ability to SMS them an order and then you could pay for it and then they would bring it and you would pop your trunk and they would put it into the back of your trunk and you could drive away, right? Completely, you know, germ-free, yeah. et cetera. Why, why would I, why wouldn't I be, why wouldn't that be available to me post-pandemic? Yeah. Why would that same store owner not give me the flexibility to say, because if you want, you can still come into the store and go and do this and put the toppings and weigh it. But guess what? We're still going to let you text us your order and we'll come place it in your car. 
Yeah. Why would you, that was a positive experience that unfortunately grew out of a challenging situation. Why would you change that? And I think that I'm using a local brick and mortar example, but that should yeah. apply to the D2C brands as well. Is if you've allowed yeah. a very flexible return policy, why would you take that away from the consumer yeah. when things quote unquote return to normal? So I think that that would be my recommendation to all the operators out there is, Absolutely agree. It seems like we've opened up a Pandora's box, which which really ain't closing. It's just not closing anymore. Um, because it's been an absolute pleasure, you know, having you on the show. So for those of you still here, he's the Senior Vice President, Global Sales, Customer Experience at Customer. That's Customer with a K. Um, and they're a global CRM system that serve um, D2C retail um, one of the very many, you know, um, verticals they, they, they serve. Um, so, so yeah, thank you so much because, um, for those who want to follow you, follow customer, um, what social channels are you guys most active in? Uh, so, uh, at customer with a K on Twitter, um, you know, go to our website, a lot of content being updated there. Uh, as well as, you know, uh, we do a LinkedIn live every Friday myself and, my partner in crime, our VP of marketing, Gabe Larson, okay. who has a tremendous following. Um, so please, you know, find us. We're, we're omnipresent, omni-channel. So, you, you know, we, you will find a, a place to, uh, to, to kind of hear from us and learn about what we're doing with some of the world's leading brands. Awesome. We'll link up to your LinkedIn profile and all the customer social media, um, you know, channels we, we can grab, you know, um, our hands on. Um, again, it's been an absolute pleasure, you know, having you, Vikas. Um, thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to this episode of 2X e-commerce. We encourage you to connect with our community of 2X e-commerce listeners on our Facebook group, e-commerce growth accelerator mastermind just search for 2x e-commerce on facebook to find it answer three questions and you'll be approved grab the show notes of this episode on our website 2xecommerce.com finally if you haven't already give the show a review on your podcasting app catch you on the next show and keep growing